broadcasting from Ann Arbor, Michigan. This is The Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the Korean Peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode... Founded in 1982, the Korea Economic Institute works to promote dialogue and understanding on economic, political, and security relations between South Korea and the United States. In this episode... We join Director of Communications and host of the Korean Context podcast, Jenna Gibson, in Washington, D.C., for a look inside the organization. I was listening to a few episodes on the way here, some of the recent ones. The Human Rights of Korean Family Relations with Greg Skerlatu, he's the, on the Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. Jim Park. He's a Canadian. Yeah. So, Jim Peck, first NHL player, a Korean National Hockey League player. Mm-hmm. And I listened to The Kim Monarchy, Reframing Political Legitimacy in North Korea with Dr. Wang Sontek. Mm-hmm. So, really interesting episodes. How do you choose who you're going to be interviewing? It kind of depends. Sometimes it comes to us in weird ways. Um, sometimes it depends on the programs that we're putting on. So, for example, The Kim Monarchy. Dr. Wong was already coming to present his paper here at KEI, and so we asked him if he would stay for an extra half hour and talk to us about, you know, his the background of his research and and you know give another outlet for his paper, I guess. And then in the case of uh, Jim Peck, the NHL player, he was actually last one of last year's honorees for our mm-hmm. Korean American Day celebration. So he was, you know, here in Washington. We were honoring him, and um, we asked him and the other honorees if they would sit down for a little bit and talk about. Their experience, um, you know, being of Korean descent and mm. living in the U.S. and things like that. So he's living in the States. Yeah, because he has been in the U.S. for so long after having grown up in Canada. And he, right. you know, plays for the NHL. He plays, played for the um, Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. And so we still honor him. What about Dr. Wang Sun Tech? Mm-hmm. He talked about the Kim Monarchy. Yeah, so he is actually a correspondent for YTN here in D.C. So, YTN is? Um, YTN. It's a news, no- it's a TV right. news network, right? Yeah. So um, it's a TV news network in Korea, and um, he is the bureau chief for the D.C. Bureau of YTN. But interestingly, so he's a journalist, he's a correspondent here in D.C., but he also has his Ph.D. in North Korean studies, and he's you know, looked at the leadership, and particularly I think this one is interesting because a lot of people talk about North Korea, obviously a lot of people talk about Kim Jong-un, but he has a kind of almost sociology, psychology perspective on it, and he's looking at... Or in, in, in this paper, and when we interviewed him, he was looking at how the North Korean people give legitimacy to the Kim regime and why that matters for you know, the stability and going forward, what reactions we could have to that. Jenna Gibson is the Director for Communications at the Korea Economic Institute in Washington, D.C. According to its website, the KEI is not an advocacy group. It's not a lobbying group. It's not a think tank. It's not a policy institute. So what's the Korea Economic Institute? Um, so we are a nonprofit. We are some, uh, a group that our, our basic mission is to foster friendship between South Korea and the United States and the people of Korea and the people of the United States. It's not advocacy. It's not lobbying. But mainly our goal, or at least my goal here, is to help the American people understand why Korea is important and understand a little bit more about Korea and the ties that we do have, because I think, and this is something that I've learned a lot through my personal interactions, having lived in Korea for two years, 
people know that this place exists, South Korea. A lot of times they get confused with North Korea, but for the most part, a lot of Americans don't know how close of a friendship we really do have and how much we are tied to each other um, between the U.S. And, and South Korea. And so we really try to help people understand that and help people understand beyond just the North Korea situation, although that's obviously important, we talk about that, but for example, trade, you know, we're the Korea Economic Institute, so that's something we talk about a lot. Um, cultural ties, all kinds of, we've done some programs, and I've done podcasts on how do and Korean culture here mm. in the U.S., so trying to really deepen the understanding within the U.S. of South Korea. So it's kind of, it's a kind of advocacy, um, but maybe more just like raising awareness? Yeah. Would you call that the institutional mandate of the mm-hmm. organization? Yeah, that's yeah. Our, our mission statement is to foster friendship, is how it's worded. The KEI has a contractual relationship with the Korea Institute for International Economic Policy, a Seoul think tank funded by the South Korean government. Mm-hmm. So what does a contractual relationship look like in this case, and what does this relationship look like in practice? In a way, it's a partnership. We have a lot of people who, from KIEP, the organization that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. we have people, they're scholars and researchers who we can draw on when we need someone to come and present about a certain topic, and they're very um, knowledgeable, obviously, and vice versa. We go over to Seoul um, every once in a while and present things and go to events. We also have, they have almost a not an advisory role, but in some ways they make sure that everything is going well or, you know, they have some kind of um, suggestions or mm-hmm. things like that from the Korean perspective and, st- and things. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, there's not a whole lot of interaction. Uh, most of the K- uh, KEI's revenue comes from KIEP. Um, the KIEP budget is provided by South Korea's Legislative Assembly. So the institute's essentially funded by the South Korean taxpayer? Is that correct? Technically, but it's, we are independent. The KEI enjoys affiliations and partnerships with a lot of universities and organizations. Tell me something about these relationships. So this is something that I personally think is really great is we are based here in DC, but we really don't like to only be here in DC, um, you know, kind of preaching to the choir about policy, you know, and how important foreign relations are and things like that. Um, So one of the ways that we get out and talk to new audiences and talk to people who, as I mentioned, maybe don't know enough about Korea or about the relationship that we have. Um, So we have university programs. I think last year we had about two dozen of them around the country. And sometimes this consists of one of our um, employees going to a class, um, you know, either undergraduate or graduate that's about Korea, about Asia, about IR, even just generally, and um, giving a presentation about the importance of Korea and some of the initiatives that we've been working on. Sometimes we bring experts and actually um, have a panel on the campus uh, of, a ver- of certain universities. So, for example, I went up to Montclair State University um, in November in New Jersey, and we brought three experts on North Korea, and we talked about could an Iran deal work for North Korea? And we had about 60 students show up and listen to this panel, and then afterwards we had a career panel where they could kind of talk to those D.C. experts and ask them about getting into this field in D.C. Having an Iran deal work for North Korea, mm-hmm. this would imply a sort of 
carrot and stick approach and cooperative way of trying to deal with the issue of a n- nuclear North Korea? Mm-hmm. Well, so the way that the talks, uh, the way that this panel kind of ended up playing out was basically there's too many differences between the situations for us to even have that conversation in a way. Because, hmm. you know, after Dairandale, there was a lot of at least in our Korea policy circles, there was a lot of talk, oh, now is North Korea next? Is that the, you know, now we've opened up Cuba and we've made this deal with Iran, let's go to North Korea. And so there was a lot of this talk swirling around. And part of this panel was kind of to debunk that in a way and just say, you know what, there's a lot of differences. There are different ways we've tried to engage in the past and, you know, maybe something can work in the future, but don't directly compare these two situations. Maybe the intimacy of the relationship between the South Korean government and the American government is maybe one of the stumbling blocks? I think there's, in this case, there's also just so many structural differences. I mean, even if you're looking at the, the nuclear um, capabilities themselves, Iran, in that case, we were stopping them from getting off the starting block. But in North Korea's case, we would have to have them you know, move back several steps before they are denuclearized. And so I think even from a more fundamental perspective, there's just, we would have to deal with them in a very different way if we were negotiating over the nuclear situation. So things like that, um, things like the fact that Iran wants to be part of the global community in a way that North Korea doesn't necessarily. Um, So yeah, that was a lot of what we were talking about. That's The Korea File for this week. You can find new episodes of The Korea File on iTunes and Stitcher, and as a featured contributor at koreafm.net, koreabridge.net, blogtalkradio.org, and the Fair Observer website. If you like what you hear, like us on Facebook, and please leave a review of the show wherever you subscribe. It'll help new listeners discover the show. Then tune in on February 24th for more with Jenna Gibson as we discuss her role as host and producer of the Korea Economic Institute's Korean Context Podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. From Ann Arbor, I'm Andre Goulet.